0: Politics without the soap opera with unfiltered constitutional conservative truth. The Conservative Review with Daniel Horowitz. And welcome back, fellow American Patriots and Minutemen standing at the ready to fight anew our enemies within and everything they're doing to us, including poisoning our bodies. This is your host, Daniel Horowitz, back here today for Wednesday. And this is the anniversary of James Madison's death. He died many years ago, but his vision lived on for quite some time past his death, but certainly not today. No, we are no longer fighting for the republic. We talk about that a lot. We talked about the judiciary, a lot about immigration recently, economics, different issues, culture. It's all dead. But the bare basics, the bare minimum that you can live as a sentient human being, that is being challenged. So, you know, we spent much of last year talking about the vaccine. Obviously, we had to move on to many other issues, but I want to move back to that a little bit today because there's so much unfinished business. How can we live through this past two years and emerge from it with no resolve to learn anything? Even as they step on the gas pedal and create this vaccine jihad. Any thinking person going through, living through this, the the difference is that you live through mass vaccination in one shot. So we see the issues. Now, could be the COVID ones were particularly bad. Very likely. But what we've learned about antibody classes, negative efficacy, inflammation, the relationship between your immune system and cancers, and then you look back, and you look at the explosion of vaccines in one generation, even before COVID. And you look at the explosion of autoimmune cancers, all this stuff. And again, there's definitely no matter what, even in the worst look for vaccines, multiple contributing factors that could also have to do with, with other you know, health issues and, and air and water and, and food and who knows what else. As we're trying to even debate this, they have already moved on. They're going on a therapeutic jihad against us. As I've mentioned, warp speed was not an anomaly. It's the new paradigm. It's the new normal. So we're going to have Dr. Meryl Nass coming up to give us an update on what CDC is doing. She uh, sat through that ridiculous three-day-long ASIP. Hearing and took notes, so she's going to update us on what they're doing, what's coming down the pipeline, what they're thinking. Uh, First, our sponsor today, very appropriately, is Quinn Goat Soap. In addition to inflammation of food, unhealthy food, you have it on other things that you put in your body, like soap. Soap goes in your body because it's on your body; it gets absorbed in your skin. I have very sensitive skin. I have for years. I've gotten like acne on my back from you know, especially in the summertime. I have changed to Quinn Goat Soap, and you know originally we supported them because they share our values. It was a great story. Quinn Pittman is a 16-year-old entrepreneur in Volusia County, Florida, uh, Christian homeschooling family. I was like, all right, goat soap—that's kind of interesting. But then I realized the health benefits are amazing. So it's kind of like you know when you look at Dove and Zest—that's sort of the junk food equivalent of soap, aside from being woke companies uh qp has really expanded out if you go to QPgoatsoap.com, they have a really nice inventory of all things that go in your body see if you put the soap on your body it goes in your body you put it in your detergent well you know people who are allergic will know that when you have clothes laundered it with certain detergent it will give you problems so they now actually have laundry soap you can buy as well. So I just tried that this week. It smells excellent. Their scents are amazing. They got lime sublime, raspberry lime, cedarwood lime, mahogany teak. Great, great scents. So it doubles up as a soap and a freshener, really, in your bathroom. We only use QP Goat Soap now. Join me today going to qpgoatsoap.com. Use promo code Daniel for 10% off supporting a Blaze subscriber. Christian Homeschooler, great patriot, great product at QPGoatSoap.com. So there's a couple of things I want to get to before Dr. Nass. There is a new study titled, B-cell lymphoblastic lymphoma following intravenous BNT yada yada Pfizer shot. A case report about a mouse. It's published by Belligan Researchers in Frontiers in Oncology. They wanted to ascertain the effects of myocarditis in mice, but instead they found something else. There was one mouse that two days, two days after being injected, they found dead. Two days following BNT162B2 booster, this was the third dose. The mouse died suddenly with enlarged organs and diffused malignant infiltration of the heart, lung, liver, kidney, and spleen by lymphoid neoplasm. So it had this B-cell lymphoma, which we're finding everywhere now in case studies and even even showing up in articles, our mouse case adds to previous, previous clinical reports on malignant lymphoma developing following novel mRNA COVID-19 vaccine. So we obviously know there's a turbo cancer problem, but particularly the blood-based cancers, blood, the blood system, the lymphatic system. And it turns out there are 1,382 cases of lymphoma in VARES. Did you know that? 1,382. And that's an astounding number because cancer is very indirect, very hard to trace back. Most people aren't going to think they get cancer, oh, it was the shot. Because it's not like you know your your heart starts beating irregularly right after the shot, and then you have a heart attack, so you'll trace it to that. This is one of the harder ailments, kind of like miscarriages. It's, it's too much of an indirect uh, time lag. So when you have 1382 cases of lymphoma in theirs, it's insane. And, again, we, now that we understand the pathophysiology, there's multiple ways it could cause cancer, but one of them is tamping down your immune system. So when you have all this immune suppression, all this immune suppression from all these shots that they're pushing on children and now seniors, what do you think that does? Do we have any idea? I cannot think of a more pro-life issue, an issue that is of graver consequence to our civilization. We could kind of avoid certain issues, certain things, all right? So the country's overrun by illegal aliens. I'll keep trying to go on and live my life. But what do you do that every kid who's born is now confronted with a vaccine jihad? And we're all wondering, what's the true, what's not? But the more we see, and this is true largely in pharma, but certainly anything that's a vaccine, there is no informed consent. They lied about everything. And the very manufacturers who lied about this have many other vaccines that they already have been pushing, some for a long time, some this generation. And then the future, we need to call a moratorium, and audit everything we have, but instead they're rushing to the next ones. But this study is crazy. Because it's not isolated. It ties in with the anecdotal evidence, the epidemiological surveillance evidence, medical billing evidence, theirs obviously, and the, the European Medicines Agency data, as well as many other case reports on this. There's a big problem with lymphoma. And yet, there still is no impetus to get these taken off the market. And in fact, they're marketing new boosters and new shots from the same manufacturers for RSV and you name it. What are we going to do about it? And related to this, I saw my friend Jeff Childers put this out in his um, substack today. This is an article from 2014 in Medical News Today. And I'll never forget that Aaron Siri told me about this. So he, you look at what could be the gravest lie of a century, mass vac- vaccination. The notion that you take a concept that in theory is nice, and you take every human being from the time they're born, no matter the rationale, the risk assessment, and any understanding, and you tamper with their immune system. Okay, you know, I I didn't know a lot of this. A lot of this was abstract. It was hard to know who to believe. But now that we lived through it and we saw what happens when you bomb the immune system with antibodies. So there's a bunch of different issues. What's the rationale for getting some of this stuff? What's the safety? What's the efficacy? But then there's another sphere to this that's really important. And we talked about this a lot during COVID when we saw it in real life that when you tamper with God's immunological ecosystem, kind of the whole bubble boy phenomenon, you, you try to create a sterile society, you actually make people sicker. And God designed that, you know, generally speaking, people do have problems, some people do die from viruses, but generally the system works that you develop gradual immunity and you get certain things that build up your system. So a lot of this stuff is not as efficacious as we think. That's for sure. But then there's a question with certain ones that probably were did have certainly a degree of effectiveness, like measles, like like chickenpox. Chicken pox is a great example. It might have worked, but was there really a need for it? And moreover, once you get it, was there a reason we were getting chickenpox? And this is the whole question. There is mounting evidence that shingles took off because people don't get chicken pox. And shingles is worse. So I want to get to the, this example. Again, this is an old article from, from last decade. But now that we're on the cancer discussion, I wanted to bring this up. But first, our next sponsor, again, you got to take your own health in your own hands. Again, talking about inflammation today. You're struggling with stiff or aching joints. A lot of people are. Lots of problems with arthritis. Frankly, there's a lot of drugs they give you that cause it. That's another problem that's taken off. I have a g- great product from our friends at Pure Health Research: Joint support. It contains seven of the nature's best superfoods for supporting comfortable, healthy and flexible joints. It promotes healthy cartilage growth all it takes is one small capsule so it's easy to, to use um, you know for those of you like me that get scared swallowing these large capsules um, and you'll you'll start feeling the positive effects pretty soon and then as always as a listener to our show you can try joint support risk free today at getjointhelp.com/daniel getjointhelp.com/daniel and pure health always likes to give away free items with that so they have a free 30 day supply of omega 3 which certainly has a lot of really good natural health qualities to it as well as two free ebooks so you can learn more about what pure health does and and uh, whole health so head over to getjointhelp.com/daniel to order joint support and claim your free bottle of omega 3 while supplies last at getjointhelp.com/daniel so this again, medical news today, twenty fourteen, dose of measles virus destroys women's incurable cancer. And they found that two patients received an intravenous dose of measles. And it was engineered to kill myeloma plasma cells. I like guess like like a type of bone marrow cancer, it's very deadly. It was a team at the Mayo Clinic in, in Rochester, Minnesota. And both patients responded to the treatment, showing reduced bone marrow cancer and levels of myeloma protein. But one patient, a 49-year-old woman, experienced complete remission and remained disease-free for over six months. And, you know, they, they talk about the promises of this. I don't know whatever happened to it. This is from a long time ago. And they use this as, like, a single-shot cure for cancer they talk about. And literally, they're talking about, right now, vaccines for cancer. But the irony is lost on them, and I think all of you get it at this point. Again, why is cancer going crazy? Now, there are certain types that in the last two years, the lymphoma, B-cell lymphoma, there's no question. It's associated with COVID shots, some of the turbocharged cancers— What we all agree is, unlike the myocarditis and the heart stuff, which is only really after the vaccine, cancer has really been growing the last number of decades. It really has steadily been growing with younger people. Why? And again, I am, I'm not, there's no easy fix that the vaccines single-handedly are responsible for 100% of the cancer growth, autoimmune, autism, Allergies, you name it. No, there's, there's definitely mul- a multitude of factors. But the fact that this is happening so much and there's no curiosity as to why, but they just have an, an answer to sell you something else. Have you killed and have you inherited? It's truly disgusting. But what this got me thinking is, because I know Aaron Siri was throwing a bunch of papers at me with heart health, too with people who got measles, relative to those who didn't. Measles is kind of nasty for a week. It's very uncomfortable. No one wants it. But the death rate, when it was natural to get it as a child, was lower than that of the flu. It really was uncomfortable. But, you know, so genuinely, we kind of got rid of it. Now, it's a question over how much efficacy it has, over what period of time, like everything else how much of it was going around down before the vaccine. I'm not getting involved in that debate. But I'm talking about another thing. Who's to say that was a good thing to get rid of? You never know what other qualities, and and this is the problem with medical interventions. Like imagine if someone would say, uh, an OBG, you know, childbirth is is, is risky. Let's just preemptively do a cesarean on 100% of people. Well, what we've learned is there's so much benefit particularly with immunity, conveyed through vaginal birth. So you don't screw around with God's ecosystem if you don't need to. Now, obviously, something's not working, someone's in danger, you go and intervene. But mass vaccination, I could certainly say, is against my religious beliefs. To preemptively say that every person needs to be perfected with this, no, Because usually there's a reason your system is the way it is and you don't want to needlessly tamper with it. This is what we need to, we need to audit all of these vaccines from beginning to end. Start from the beginning. No sacred cow. Some of them you might come out with a positive view of. But what is the rationale? What is the safety? What is the true efficacy? Are there possible benefits to even having had those uh, viruses, assuming it is effective in getting rid of it. And then what's the synergistic effect of all this stuff? Now, there's another, another two stories I wanted to get to real quick. This is from the Daily Skeptic, Earth Shattering. So one of the, one of the big mysteries everyone's been wondering is, the more you study the COVID shots, they're literally poison. Literally poison. They, they potentially damage every corner of your body. So how come, you know, as, as high as the rate of AEs are, you know, as we can see, it seems to be like, you know, anywhere from like 7-8% needed some sort of clinical intervention, which is insanely high. And maybe 2% or so wound up being really serious, which is insanely high. Millions of people. But still, the overwhelming majority kind of lived on their life, which is why they were able to get away with it. And the question is why? And we always suspected there was something going on with the vials. So not only are they allowed to sell poison, but there's no quality control. This is a whole separate thing. It's all good. We're literally lab rats. So at Daily Skeptic, there's an unbelievable article. Pfizer vaccine batches in the EU were placebos. Say scientists. So there's basically these five German scientists that are particularly concerned with and studying the, the quality control of vials, which we always suspected there were issues. And they appeared on this German online program, but it was translated here. And they basically took a look at there's this Danish study that illustrates a variation in Denmark. And what they found, if I'm getting the math correct, is that from what they looked at, 30%, 30% were placebos. There was nothing in it. They were just placebos. They didn't get it. Again, you'll have a couple that will come in, husband, wife. One of them will get crushed by it. The other one won't even feel even the typical, uh, melees from it headache fever whatever some will some will only feel at what's the deal and again i don't know if this is reflective broader but it's very satisfying based on what we're observing group one 30 percent basically got placebo they had no adverse events another group which is the majority 60 percent was a small dose so it's basically 1 in 400 AEs. And then there was the full dose, which was 10%. So just 10% had almost all the AEs. It's like It was like up to 1 in 6 people had problems. This It's all good. It is all good. The point is we just lived, and we're all forgetting. And I understand it. Poll is very low because people... Don't care about it, and and that's a good thing. They shouldn't worry about COVID, but they should worry about the fact that they created a virus, unleashed it upon us, blocked a treatment for it, created a poison shot, and then used that as a new paradigm to unleash a vaccine jihad on us at a time that we should be questioning retrospectively everything we've seen. And that is a problem people don't care because we don't have a political party any political movement making it an issue. Conservative voters care about what conservative media tells them to care about. Sorry to sound so cynical, but that's how it is. Reminds me, everyone's talking about these malaria cases suddenly popping up in Texas and Florida. First time since uh, 20 years ago. Now, we don't really have evidence of what it is. The numbers aren't that great yet. It doesn't, you know, it's not, it doesn't transmit from person to person. So it could all just go away. It might be nothing. But obviously, I'm not the first one. People have been pointing out that's where Gates has his mosquito factory. Texas and Florida. Now, I'm not, I'm not saying... We have no evidence that the two are related. But the point is, what we do know is they would do that. They have the means and motivation to create more pandemics... And create more vaccines. This is the most evil, destructive, unavoidable agenda. You can't avoid it. Anyone who has kids, and those of you in the audience who are older, your kids' kids. If you care about it, this is the most important thing. You can easily avoid an abortion. None of our people in this audience are getting an abortion. This you can't avoid. What do you do with every pediatrician? And then every OBG. You're a pregnant woman. You got to protect the baby. Here's a bunch of vaccines. Yeah, but what is all that inflammation doing to the placenta? Utterly insane. So I want to advance this discussion a little bit more with the latest going on with the therapeutic giad with Dr. Ness. Our interview is sponsored very appropriately by Jace Medical. As they prepare more pandemics, which they clearly are, Make sure you have a supply of medication when they purposely choke it off. We've promoted the Jace case of antibiotics, but now Jace Medical has something called Jace Daily, where they allow you to get up to a twelve-month backup supply for whatever prescriptions you need in an emergency. Whether it's blood pressure, mental health, um, heart health, you name it, diabetes, you could you could apply for this subscription uh, uh, prescription online because they have real medical doctors that are that need to sign off so it's a legal prescription you you have to tell them about yourself make sure there's no contraindications go to jacemedical.com and then take about 10 minutes fill it out put an offer code review review at checkout for a discount and then boom within a week you'll get it Uh, one of our listeners Cindy said it was extremely easy for my five annual scripts Five annual for 256 bucks is pretty good. I don't know what they wore. But again, JASEMedical.com. That's JASEMedical.com. Offer code REVIEW. So, folks, one of the things that I think people think why they want to move on from COVID is that, look, it was rushed. There was a rationale because it was a pandemic, so it was rushed, and that was dumb, and there were mistakes. I think broadly the public recognizes there's problems with the COVID shots. All right, but, you know, we burnt the toast. We're moving on. The problem is that CDC and the FDA aren't moving on. This is the new paradigm. So we've mentioned a little bit here last couple of weeks that Verbeck and Asip, the FDA and CDC advisory panels on vaccines, respectively, have been hosting endless hearings, trying to speed new shots, and it's anything from pneumococcal shots to things we haven't had dengue and and chicken chikungunya, all these things, but then some of them, they're literally approving, and marketing, and sending out right now, like RSV shots, we now have GSK, and and Pfizer, both for seniors, down to 60 years old, and we have Pfizer, for pregnant women RSV, prima facie problems, what is the rationale, what is the efficacy, and certainly the safety, the negative efficacy, and it's like, Where is the heart and mind of these people? So someone who has done the work for us, imagine watching these people for eight hours, three days straight. But Dr. Meryl Nass, we've had her on before, 42-year practicing internist. She had her license attacked in Maine for actually prescribing and trying to save people during COVID, really has put it all out for us. Um, And one of the ways she's done that, by sacrificing her time, um, so you and I don't have to listen to these drones for hours on end. She actually watched the, th- the ACIP hearings for three days straight, this therapeutic jihad. It's all good. On to the next, on to the next. I want to get a glimpse into what is they're thinking, what they're doing, and what we need to uh, protect against, what's coming down the pipeline. You could follow Meryl's... COVID news. Meryl's COVID news on Substack. Very, very important Substack. On this, but really other issues as well. Hey, Dr. Ness, it's been way too long. Thanks so much for joining us today at Blaze Media.
1: So good to be talking to you again, Daniel.
0: Alright, I want to get to kind of do a a rundown lightning round of, of a synopsis of each one. But first, a general overview. I'm assuming there is nothing... ...that has jogged, jerked, phased their hearts and minds from any of the observations on on injury, negative efficacy, immune imprinting, the failure of respiratory viral vaccines, including Fauci's own uh, published article in Cell. I'm assuming just watching them, they've learned nothing.
1: Um, I think that's correct. Yes.
0: So they've learned nothing. Okay. Now... What bothered me reading some of your reports on your sub stack is that it's worse than learning nothing. See, if they totally blissfully just never came across these concepts, I'd understand it. But I'm I'm watching your report, and, and even in the open source MBC, MSNBC, you know, articles on ASIP, they'll note how they find signals for Guillain-Barre, signals for, you know, in the RSV shots, signals for early premature birth in the GSK shot, the GSK pregnancy shot had to be stopped. And they'll just look at that and be like, yeah, we got to approve it to find out what's going going on. It seems like they recognize some of the problems, but it doesn't phase them.
1: That's correct. (laughs) Yes. And CDC admits some of the problems. doesn't admit admit all of them, but it does instruct them on many of them. So when CDC feels like it needs to hide behind the skirts of the advisory committee, which is basically why the advisory committee is there. It's so CDC can say, we didn't approve this, our advisory committee did. Well, what on what basis does the advisory committee make its decisions on the basis of the briefings it gets from the CDC? And so the CDC will slant the data, omit data, Um, sometimes provide very um, skewed versions of the data. For example, when they don't want to present safety and efficacy data, they'll present a modeling study instead, which doesn't have any um, justification for the assumptions it makes. So it might plug in some numbers for safety and efficacy, but they're not real numbers because CDC hasn't (laughs) provided them to the modeler or the committee. So... um, what, what these um, experts so these are hand picked doctors. They're all physicians. Um, some have PhDs as well, and most of them are professors at medical schools. And essentially, all of them can have, have or will consult for the pharmaceutical industry, do vaccine trials, and some or all, or probably all of them, also serve on work groups. So they have additional duties for which presumably the CDC is paying them so that each work group studies each of these vaccines in more depth than the entire committee. And then the work group, usually a CDC staffer, will present what the work group has found. And then sometimes other people will make presentations as well. So that is the data that this committee uses to to discuss and sometimes to vote on uh, vaccine issues CDC makes up questions for them to vote on. CDC decides what they want them to vote on and what they don't need a vote on. And once in a blue moon, as happened over the uh, COVID boosters a couple of almost two years ago, uh, once in a blue moon, the committee will vote one way. And if CDC doesn't like it, the CDC director will overrule them and make another decision. So, um, so that is how the process works. They are basically a cover. They are providing cover to the CDC to essentially approve every vaccine that goes in front of this committee. So I can't remember when they've rejected a vaccine. They did reject, try to reject the uh, the booster, saying that well, the vaccine, the, the data that CDC had presented on the boosters showed that they weren't necessary because the efficacy was still so high. And so we don't think we need a booster now. But the CDC, you know, knew better. They knew they had given them data that wasn't accurate, knew that a booster was in fact needed, that efficacy was already heading into negative territory at that point. And so the CDC director said, no, we're, we're, go- we're approving the boosters, we're rolling out. What, the way FDA and CDC work is FDA legally approves drugs. That means gives them a license. But CDC then decides who gets them and how they get rolled out, uh, you know, mm. is it going to and, and, and whether it's going to be on the Vaccine for Children's program. In other words, will the government pay for it? Will it have it liabi- a liability shield? So those decisions are CDC decisions and ACIP decisions.
0: So what I found just astounding is, let's start with RSV, because I think that's really important, because that is something that they're going to scare everyone with that. Your infant's going to get it. Although they're starting with seniors, um, which is bizarre. And you have Pfizer. Let's talk about the Pfizer. So both GSK and Pfizer got approved for their uh, senior shots. GSK and Pfizer tried with pregnancy shots. GSK had to pull out because a woman died among other problems. And then Pfizer has like an almost identical shot, but they approve that too. And we know there's negative efficacy. We know that's why we haven't been able to get a shot for years. We know it says on GSK's own label for the senior shot, don't give it to kids under two because there's evidence in the animal models. It causes increased respiratory you know, illness. And then we know that the same manufacturer, Pfizer, we know lied on every single aspect of their data. I mean, no one could deny that now and we have all their confidential documents of all the AE's they knew about certainly everyone admits they lied about stopping transmission and they will just take their own data despite all this come on dr ness you got to give me something here was there any recognition of any of these problems
1: okay so let me for the audience let me just explain that negative efficacy means that what for after a period of time, when once you've gotten the vaccine, it actually makes you more susceptible to getting the disease. It has nothing to do with safety. Safety is a different question. So the the COVID vaccines, about six to eight months after you've got them, if if you're an adult, or sooner, if it's a booster, or even sooner, if you're a child, five to 11, um, as time has gone on, you have negative efficacy, you are more susceptible. Although at the beginning, you are, it gives you some limited protection. Safety um, was probably known during the, there were probably problems identified during the trial, but the way trials are, are conducted, the manufacturer pays for all the clinical trials. And so, and so the manufacturer then hires contractors who, whose bread and butter, this is what they do, they, de- they depend, in order for the contractor to stay alive, and they're called contract research organizations, they have to come up with evidence that Pfizer likes. So as Brooke Jackson noted, who worked for a Pfizer contractor for 18 days, um, the contractor was doing a lot of things wrong, which all were to the benefit of Pfizer, which would all make the vaccine look better. And so the trial wasn't conducted properly. Also, patients get sort of dropped from trials. So their data isn't considered. And sometimes the people who get dropped from the trial are people who have had side effects. And then the contract research organization or Pfizer or someone else decides Oh, they they didn't get vaccinated on time. They we don't have a piece of paper, you know, there's a missing consent form, there's something else missing. We're going to drop them. And it just so happens that they drop the people who had side effects or they drop the people who had negative efficacy, you know? So this is this is what happens in trials, which is why whenever trial data is presented to anybody, committee or published in a medical journal, the, the drug or vaccine always appears to work much better than it turns out. It really works once it's given to a population. So the data from a trial is simply used to, to license the drug, or or if it's in the case of CDC, to roll it out. But it's only after that happens that you find out how it really works.
0: So they're not phased by anything they saw what I, what I was floored about, you reported on this a little bit because this is ahead of the other vaccines. This is getting approved. Uh, the RSV shots. Now,
1: the RSV isn't it- shot was approved, and I must say the committee certainly they were concerned that uh, first of all we don't know how severe RSV infections are in uh, in elderly. There is no data on that because you know it, it is it can be a very severe disease in children. One of my friends had a child in the ICU a couple of weeks ago with RSV. So for children, a severe disease, but only 25 children a year die in the United States from RSV. In the elderly, it's probably like a cold. And in a smoker, you know, in someone with COPD or other underlying conditions, a cold can turn into pneumonia, can turn into something else. You wind up in the hospital, maybe you die. Well, was it the RSV that killed you or was it just, tipping tipping you over because you already had a heart failure or COPD or some other condition. Um, So nobody, you know, we've never really tested adults much for RSV because, first of all, there wasn't a treatment. You know, it's a virus. We didn't have an antibiotic for it. And we didn't think RSV was the thing killing people. So we don't know how many adults get RSV. So it's all modeling. So CDC says, oh, thousands of adults are dying every year (laughs) from RSV. Well, so then they start testing these vaccines. Why did they start testing the vaccines? Because NIAID, Fauci's agency, created the antigen, right? So Fauci's people shipped it out to pharma, said, here's your antigen, go make vaccines, and we'll make sure that, you know, FDA and CDC approve them for you because they're in our pocket. And that's why there are now so many RSV vaccines.
0: So, um... But that's what they, struck so, me, they recognize the problems.
1: Yes, they, I mean, I think they know that we don't know how many cases there are, but then CDC models it. CDC throws, creates a model or pays someone to do a model, creates some fake numbers, you know pulls them out of the air says oh this many people are dying throw it into your model oh yes RSV is costing the united states billions of dollars a year in in medical costs and so it makes perfect sense that we should vaccinate all our elders the the thing that was a problem was in they had a the two manufacturers GSK and Pfizer had 40,000 people in their trials who got these vaccines. And I don't know if some of them got placebo or all of them got the vaccine, but out of 40,000, they had six definite cases of Guillain-Barré-like illness. This is a, a paralyzing illness. And in some pe- some people get better and some people don't get better. Now, six out of 40,000, even if everybody got the vaccine, that's more than one in 7,000. Well, so now you're going to paralyze people for a disease whose severity and whether it's killing anybody is unclear. And if, you, if you're really paralyzing one in 7,000 or maybe more, it's going to be noticed. If you start giving this to every senior, people are going to start getting Guillain-Barre just like they did in 1976 when it got noticed. And they had to pull that flu vaccine after a quarter of the United States had been vaccinated. Um, and they had about forty deaths and about four hundred cases back then so um they don't really these people don't really want to be found guilty of recommending a vaccine that's going to paralyze a bunch of Americans for disease whose severity is unclear and So what they finally came up with was they lowered the age because one of one of the vaccines was supposed to be for people over sixty five and the other for people over sixty because those were the groups that they tested it in. So the, the ASIP gave it to all of them for over 60. Now, the 60 to 65 group, by the way, they have the lowest risk-benefit uh, ratio. They, they don't benefit much. They're, most of them are healthy anyway. So there, very few deaths, if any, are going to be prevented in that age group. But the group allowed it to go down to age 60 instead of 65, which is going to, of course, help the manufacturers sell more. But what they did instead was instead of recommending it for everybody, because really nobody knows if it's going to be helpful, they said, ah, it should be shared decision making. And what that means is we take the responsibility off the doctors. We, we don't direct the, we don't make a direct recommendation that every elder person has to get this, and we don't condition any benefits on whether or not you've got it. We just tell the doctors, talk to your patients. If you want to talk them into it, go for it. If you don't, or if you want to choose some of your sicker patients who you think should get it and the healthier ones shouldn't, that's okay. You just talk to the patients together, you decide. That way, if people start coming down with a paralyzing illness, you can blame it on the patient who helped make the decision, okay? That's how that works. So that's what was done.
0: So could you riddle me this? I mean... You have four permutations here. You have GSK, Pfizer, senior shots, and pregnancy shots. One of those four boxes uh, was not approved, the GSK pregnancy one, because it was pulled because they felt it was dangerous in multiple ways. Now, for them to pull something says a lot because it doesn't seem like they pull anything nowadays. So riddle me this, if that was problematic enough to pull... Are the other three boxes, okay, you get what I'm saying, the yes. the Pfizer pregnancy exactly. shot and then the two senior ones, are they that different in formulation? No. To my knowledge,
1: they, they all use the same NIH, Fauci antigen. And um, so you would expect the same side effects from all of them, whether the women are pregnant or whether they're elders. Now, pregnant women have downregulated their immune system so they don't reject their fetus. So they're going to have less inflammatory complications from a vaccine. And this may be one reason why the industry feels like they can get away with giving pregnant women shots, because they're, they're going to probably have less of those kind of side effects than non-pregnant persons. Um, okay, so what happened with the GSK shot, for it, first of all, they want to give this in pregnancy, and it turns out if they give it too early, there's almost no benefit to the child. Um, so the the prime benefit is supposed to be for the new the young babies, not not to the pregnant women. So you're you're vaccinating pregnant women uh, with a vaccine that isn't expected to benefit them, but is expected to benefit their children. Um, so what, well, that means it should be quite safe, right? Because it's not going to benefit the person who's receiving it. So there's an ethical issue there. Um, GSK found that there was significantly significant. <laughs> significantly <laughs> elevated, and and it was statistically significant um, number of premature labors, premature deliveries. Okay, Pre, there were more preemies in the vaccinated women. Now most of them uh, were occurring in foreign countries, so the ASAP wanted to try and dismiss them. Well, it's happening in foreign country, not so much in the U.S. But actually, in both trials, in the GSK and Pfizer, there were a lot more premies in the vaccinated women. So something was happening as a result of that vaccine to cause preemies. Um, and now, it's also important to, to know that because of the 21st Century Cure Act, which was passed in 2016, right at the very end of the, Obama, in the last weeks of the Obama administration, it gave vaccines recommended in pregnancy a full liability shield if mm. CDC recommends them in pregnancy. So this sort of created a, a new industry, a new goldmine for manufacturers. Let's figure out what we can give to pregnant women because we're not going to have any liability if we do that. Not for damage to the fetus, not for damage to the pregnant mother.
0: Wow, I didn't know that. I mean, that that's big because my first kid was born in 2010. My last one was born in 2020, and I saw the difference. Be- they were obsessed by then with the uh, pregnant woman getting all sorts of boosters. They even wanted me to get, as a husband, to get another pertussis shot, right. which means that you it's throw in the diphtheria garbage in that because chemist. why and not? Chemist. yep. Yeah, because why not throw in as many as you can? Exactly, and, and there's and, no diphtheria
1: uh, in the United States. It's just diphtheria. unreal.
0: So... So everyone's probably wondering as you're talking here. We thought this was because of the EUA, but this is not for COVID. This is RSV, and and I thought, all right, so we'll have another couple of years. But for the the best I can see from Pfizer's clinical trials, it looks like it's about eighteen month timeline. How do how do we how do they get that without an EUA?
1: So you can first of all. Since 1992, Congress allowed the FDA to create very brief pathways for licensure. So, after a manufacturer has done its studies that the FDA requires, um, then it can get it can pay FDA a million or two million dollars extra, or it can have a coupon from some other drug if it if it created a drug or vaccine for a. Rare disease, it can get, or a biological warfare, you know, threat. They get a coupon. <laughs> it's <laughs> like going to the grocery store. They get green stamps, and um, they can then use that coupon to say, I want a very brief six month review of this product, even though it doesn't fit into any of the four categories for which you give those reviews. And then FDA commits to doing a review in six months whether or not they're able to go through all the data, and they almost never are. And then it either gets licensed or it doesn't. But they've paid, now the manufacturer's paid a couple of million dollars or used its coupon. You know, it's, it's paid FDA. FDA is almost always going to approve the product. So two-thirds of the time, it will. Now, it's true that if you get your product approved under one of these shortened pathways, abbreviated methods, it's more likely to get taken off the market later because it'll turn out to have more problems than if it went through a normal review. The thing is that back before this, before this PDUFA Act in 1992, FDA was the premier regulatory agency for drugs and vaccines in the world. And it took about eight years to get a product through the FDA and they were really careful. After this started, FDA became the agency that could get your product approved more quickly than anyone else. And it became the worst agency in the world. And then with COVID, because of the PREP Act, they didn't have to show safety or efficacy. So FDA basically became a um, Potemkin village doing a pretend review, when the review was really being done by DOD or virtually nobody, and just rushing products through. It gave, a, you know, a uh, PrEP Act um, authorization to over 300 COVID tests, for example, without really looking at them. And it gave, you know, gave authorizations to many vaccines with two months of data, two months, a median of two months of clinical trial data. That was crazy. They had no business. To, and then getting rid of the placebo group so they would never get more than two months. Of, of real data, with a, you know between a placebo group and a and a vaccinated group. So FDA did that subsequently and and simultaneously because FDA also approved uh, an Ebola vaccine with very little data and a monkeypox, which was then called a smallpox vaccine, Gineos, in 2019. So even before the pandemic, if you could say that uh, you know for smallpox or Ebola that these are like Bio warfare threats, you could get this very abbreviated review also.
0: And Wait, they that's said, also no. under the 1992 bill?
1: Well, so there, there have been all these different ways, <laughs> d- different pathways have been created over time. Because so, I was going to
0: ask you about the Gyneos. That, that, that got approved in 2019 before, right, like a, before we knew about monkey box being a thing. Somehow it was rushed without even a clinical trial right
1: so there were clinic so there's two kinds of clinical trials one clinical trial people actually may get exposed to the disease okay you've been vaccinated and you vaccinate people in a region of the world where they may be exposed to the disease and you see how many who got the placebo and how many who got the vaccine get sick okay but there's another kind of what they call a clinical trial but they just vaccinate everybody. They don't expect them to be, um, you know, there's, there's, there's no, no smallpox pox. in the world, right? Yeah. there was, so they, um, approved now, but what they did do with Ginios, so they gave it to people and said, okay, it's relatively safe, but it wasn't relatively safe. It actually was causing cardiac inflammation, probably myocarditis. And, the FDA and the manufacturer decided to just ignore that because there were a lot of people with elevated um, cardiac enzymes in two small trials. And um, at least one of them was conducted in, in military U S military service members. Now what they could have done was said, okay, this is since they, first it was only going to be licensed for smallpox. And then in, early 2019 it was the manufacturer or a government agency decided they wanted it licensed also for monkeypox and it's not clear why they did that it seems <laughs> odd because they could have used it for monkeypox under the prep act and you know they would have had no liability but once it got licensed for monkeypox well then they could sell it for monkeypox whereas you know with a prep act designation yeah. it's not licensed you it's, It can't be sold in the United States. It's an experimental product. So anyway, what whatever they did. So then in Africa, in the Congo in 2017, CDC, Brett Peterson was the principal investigator, a CDC doctor. He went to the Congo and they signed up 1,600 healthcare workers and vaccinated them. And I don't know how many got placebo. They followed them. They took blood to see what antibody levels were, and they presumably followed them to see if any of them were getting monkeypox. And it was thought that they might get monkeypox from patients because it was believed that this area of the Congo was the most susceptible to a monkeypox infection in humans. Well, CDC published a paper in 2016 describing the trial as they were setting it up. They are required to register it in clinical trials, which they did. And then we never heard another word about it. So I was just lucky that I was noodling around and discovered that they were conducting the trial. And then last year when they rolled out the monkeypox vaccine, they never told anybody about that. This trial had occurred. And all year long, I've been pounding them whenever they have an article about monkeypox. I say, well, what about the trial in the Congo where you gave it to 1600 people? That's the clinical trial where we might get some safety and efficacy data. What happened? So at, so, Last week, they finally admitted that they had conducted the trial, and they admitted that they had given about 200 people a booster five years later, right? So now we know they have five years of data on some of those patients. And the other 1,400, you know, they have the data they collected early in the trial, but they didn't give us any of that safety data or efficacy data. They gave us what's called reactogenicity data for only the booster dose. And they said, look, When we gave the booster dose five years later, after the two initial doses, um, five years earlier, people had a lot more local side effects. And therefore, we don't think uh, a five-year booster is a good idea in the United States because we're going to have a lot of side effects.
0: We're going to have a lot of side effects. And then there's the efficacy were they bothered at all by the fact that the CDC put out an alert recently of a cluster of 13 monkeypox cases in Chicago and 19 of the 13 were double vaccinated with Johnny last year? Like, did that come up?
1: Um, so it was mentioned in passing and, um, immediately afterwards, uh, the CDC said, oh, yeah, it's highly effective, you know, very effective. And and they didn't really, you know, explain that most of the people in Chicago had been vaccinated. Um, The other (laughs) thing that the CDC never told anybody, and I think someone shared it with me on my blog, is that actually a monkey trial was conducted also by NIH and DOD uh, back in the 2000. I don't know, around 2010, a monkey, a monkey trial. They actually vaccinated monkeys, and then they gave them monkeypox, and all the vaccinated monkeys got monkeypox. So this is a U.S. government trial. It's monkeys. I mean, it's monkeypox, right? That's where it come, supposedly came so from. So all of them
0: got—so, so like, that's what I'm saying. This is not even Joseph Mangala where you're exper- experimenting. They affirmatively they know these things are problematic— and nonetheless, yeah. choose to go through with it. And this is what is so scary. I, In my past life, I would have thought, based on my view of healthcare, and I still think there is truth of this in certain spheres of healthcare, that the FDA was being too strict and, and, and stifling too much innovation. So I, I would think that certainly if something is FDA approved, well, that much we don't have to worry about that You know, there's going to be problems. But I look at this, and I'm like, you got to be kidding me. Now, unfortunately, we're out of time, but is there a way you could give us a just a quick minute or two? We talked about RSV and monkeypox. Is there any other vaccine that you think we should be concerned about coming down the pipeline that they seem to be rushing?
1: Okay, so the, the Prevnar vaccine is Pfizer's pneumococcal vaccine, which get, can give kids earaches and other, you, other minor infections, but then very rarely can give a serious infection like pneumonia or meningitis um, or sepsis. And so um, all kids are getting vaccinated with pneumococcal vaccines, four doses, and the total cost is over $900 if, if you don't have insurance, just for the vaccine itself and then more, you know, to um, actually give it. So the cost to, to give just the pneumococcal vaccine is over $1,000. Um, so it's so lucrative. And Pfizer had an earlier one, and then they expanded it so that it doubled the number of serotypes, it doubled the, the, the variant. It's a bacterial vaccine. But anyway, so it did that. And then it was able to convince uh, everybody that they needed to be revaccinated. So it was another $1,000 <laughs> and four shots for kids to get revaccinated with their 13 valent vaccine instead of their seven. So everybody else uh, noticed that this is a very lucrative vaccine. And so other companies jumped in. And so now there's a 15 valent pneumococcal vaccine and a 20 valent. I'm not sure oh. whether either of them has been licensed. Certainly the 20 has not, but these are competitors. So, okay. So we've got a 13, a 15 and a 20 valent. Pneumococcal vaccine, very, very similar, three companies, how do they compare? Are kids who've received these vaccines getting pneumococcal infections? And if so, which which variant, which strain are they getting? There was no data on that. There's no comparison. It's just like guess. Like if you're a parent, just guess. Or if you're a doctor, which one do you want to have in your office? Guess. Maybe we'll know at some day in the future. So So right now, we we think they're all safe. We don't know which one's more effective. So we're just going to prove all of them, you know, and let the market decide. Unfortunately, in medicine, the market is not a good decider. No. Because you can't get enough information. The only people with the information are the FDA and the CDC, and they hide it from us.
0: And they hide it. And also, also another part of the market is funding. So if it's, there's nothing else in the free market that's put on a schedule. You must buy a new grill or add on to your deck at this date. Here, it's the school, it's the every single medical society and association is funded by government to do it. It's not just the government is funding it. It's not just the absolving them of liability, but they fund every medical cultural institution to promote it there is no free market i mean i think that's what's so important about regulatory capture you know i'm fine if, if the fda is lax if they don't have a monopoly on it but they do so we're forced to count on them um uh, j- just real quick uh, uh to to sew up on that point that you brought up pneumococcus i think this is important We've learned from variant chasing with viruses that that's a problem that could create antigenic drift. And the more you do variant chasing, that's how you get negative efficacy potentially against the variant that you wind up getting confronted with that you're not vaccinated for, but you're vaccinated for something similar. Is that uh, also a potential concern with bacterial infections here that you're chasing variants? And if you guess wrong and you get a different variant, you might actually be worse off. So, yes, um,
1: that is. True, that did happen originally with the Prevnar vaccine, that the Prevnar seven missed um a particularly virulent um serotype. And so once all these kids got vaccinated for the seven serotypes, obviously the ecology of pneumococcus changed. And so there was much more pneumococcus in, in the environment in the of the serotypes that were not covered that were not effectively covered. In the vaccine, so instead of pneumococcus mostly being susceptible to amoxicillin and you know other cheap antibiotics, a lot of the new pneumococcal infections required you know had to be treated with expensive antibiotics because they uh, because these particular strains that then took over the ecology were more antibiotic resistant. So that did happen earlier. That was one of the reasons why we, they, Pfizer was able to go from a 7 to a 13 valent and make a lot of money in the process. Um, that has been postulated to occur with the pertussis vaccine. The pertussis, you know, pertussis is part of DPT vaccines. There's, uh, well, there, when I made a chart, there were four DPT vaccines licensed in the U.S. There may be more that I've missed since, but um Each one has slightly different amounts of the different antigens, and there's about four or five different pertussis antigens in each shot. Well, it looks like over time, the pertussis strains in the U.S. have, and these are bacteria, as is pneumococcus, have mutated so that the pertactin um, antigen in the vaccine is no longer effective and may, in fact, enhance infection
0: yes so
1: that's not entirely clear yet but there's certainly some suggestions but
0: but, but the point is we should learn while covid has its uniqueness there's a lot of principles we all experienced because you can't miss it it was a a pandemic and b everyone was vaccinated at once we saw these things straight up the negative efficacy the variant chasing the antigenic drift okay and 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 then and then all what i was floored by is just just the concerns of immune suppression. We have a lot of studies now on flu and T cell suppression. And so wasn't it brought up? What happens if you come every fall and they're like, get a COVID shot, an RSV shot, and a flu shot? What does that do for immune suppression? That was a real concern, right? Brought up at ASIP and what are do they doing? That?
1: that was a real concern, um, because in the tests that were done, you actually did get lower titers when you gave the RSV and the flu shot together in some trials now, but the the problem is incentives. Okay. What are the incentives for scientists and for doctors? And the, and they are that all the pretty much, you know, the grant money comes either from pharma or from the NIH primarily or from the NSF. And so if you want to continue to be an academic scientist or doctor you have to keep bringing in grants. Well, you only get the grants if you come up with yep. the results that the funder wants. So in this case, the, the funder being the U.S. government wants to, does not want to find problems with vaccines and wants more and more vaccines to be approved because pharma you know, is the most generous donor to political campaigns <laughs> of any industry in the country. So uh, what they want is to please pharma, And the only way to please pharma is to never find problems and to keep approving vaccines. And so you are not the scientists are not going to put in their papers that, uh, you know, T T cell immunity shows that this vaccine doesn't work because they're never going to get another grant. So, you know, everything is set up wrong. While we have the system we have, it is basically impossible to improve things.
0: Yes. Yes, It, it, it is. It is. Shielded from any market force that would resolve this issue, expose the problems, force better product, um, which I think increasingly we're starting to realize it's not even a matter of better product, but the entire premise of preemptive mass intervention for this amount of potential potential. Bacterial or viral infections is problematic in and of itself that entire mentality we don't do that with any other sphere of medicine like let's give everyone 10 preemptive surgeries because this might be Mm -hmm. a problem you just don't do that it's like it might have its time and place for certain people for certain things for certain places but it's this mass vaccination in itself is wrong the more i've learned about it and i'm so thankful for people like you man we could go on forever where could people find more of your work
1: um, well, my Substack, merylnass.substack.com, M E R Y L N A S S, is the best place. Um, I'm also on CHD TV uh, about six times a month, and look forward to talking again, Daniel.
0: Absolutely, and we are out of time, folks. Send me your comments, questions, concerns for Dr. Nass at Daniel Harwood at startmail.com. Till tomorrow, God bless y'all, and thank you for listening.